0: You're listening to the Co Main Event Podcast. And now, your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every single week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, it will probably come as a surprise to absolutely no one that we will spend the majority of this episode talking about Fallout from UFC 278 down there in Salt Lake City over the weekend, one of the more shocking endings to a UFC pay-per-view that we have seen in a long time as Leon Edwards stuns Kamara Usman in the final minute of their welterweight title fight. Uh, we had a co-main event, Paulo Costa and Luke Rockhold that we'll talk about quite a bit and some other action as well. Before we get into all that though, I wanted to touch base with you about one championship about to make its debut on prime video coming up on, I believe it is August 26th okay uh that's this week just that's just a few days away um that will be the uh, Johnson versus morace rematch flyweight world title this feels again I feel like every time this happens I end up saying this but this is just yet another piece of MMA news that feels like it has snuck up on me are you excited for one championship gonna be out there out there on Amazon Prime which at least in theory, would give them a huge foothold in the American streaming-slash-MMA-interested public.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm excited now that I know that it's happening, and soon. I feel like I, as soon as I heard the news that they're moving to Amazon, I filed it away somewhere in my brain, and I forgot where I put it. That happens sometimes. Happens frequently, in fact. With, with greater frequency, it seems, as the years go by to me. Um, I guess what I'm wondering is, if I'm over there... I'm watching the boys on Amazon Prime like I do. You know, I'm, I'm watching my, my shows on Amazon. I don't exactly feel like Amazon has been pushing it on me lately. You theorize that this was Amazon sort of dipping a toe in the MMA water to see how it goes, yeah. to see if they might want to get serious about a bid for the UFC when its rights deal uh, comes up for renewal with ESPN. Uh, how good do you think something like 1FC has to do over there?
0: I mean, I probably the bar is pretty low, I would think, don't you think? Like Amazon, I would assume, just needs to see some kind of heartbeat out of MMA fans to show that they will go over there and they will watch some mixed martial arts action. And the only reason I was saying that about the UFC is that like, you know, I don't have any insider knowledge or anything, but you just, it stands to reason that when the UFC hits the open market, if in fact it does, that all of the big time streamers will be circling trying to get uh, the UFC to to come over to their platform just because the dedication and loyalty that UFC fans have shown following it all over the place in terms of broadcast partners from Spike TV to Fox, from Fox to ESPN Plus, paying the money, going behind the paywall, I would think almost any streamer would be red hot to get the UFC and its audience to come over to their service. And when you start thinking about, well, who has the most money? Who has the most money it's willing to burn? Uh, you, you know, you start thinking about these streamers like Amazon, which depending on how much money it wants to budget for some kind of live sports programming package on Amazon Prime could conceivably offer An almost unlimited supply of funding.
1: You're saying that maybe the company led by the guy who put on a cowboy hat and went to space just for fun, that maybe they could afford to throw around some money to pick up something like the UFC.
0: Yeah, Jeff Bezos and Dana White hanging out, both couple guys in black t shirts, no hair, sitting across the table, (laughs) talking about uh, how much money they like to blow on at the blackjack table on the weekends. Could be a match made in heaven. You know what? I just
1: appreciate right now for one championship. Damn it. Thank you for going to a new streaming home that I already have because for so long of my MMA watching experience, it seems like the thing that was being leveraged about us, the fan to the benefit of the promoters is like you said, our willingness to go absolutely fucking anywhere to keep up with this stuff. And so that has been kind of abused at times. I feel, I mean, I remember having to up my cable package so that I could get verses or whatever uh, back when the UFC was on that, then you know I, Bellator goes over to the Zone. Okay, I got to figure out what the fuck the Zone is and sign up for that. And then they go over to Showtime. I got to sign up for Showtime to keep up with that. UFC goes to ESPN Plus, brand new streaming service. I got to sign up for that. Finally, here you go to Amazon Prime streaming, which I I got signed up for at some point in my past without ever knowing when or how, but I just have it. Everybody just has it. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for not making me sign up for some shitty new streaming service I've never heard of. Thank you for going to an existing streaming service where I can just zip on over there after I'm done watching my purchased copy of Heat on Amazon streaming.
0: Yeah, the, uh, you know, I got the Roku TV and it is constantly trying to interest me in these other streamers, free v, TV and all this other bullshit that I'm just sort of like, I don't know what that is. And they all have, they all have one show. Yeah. They all have like a bunch of content and they'll have one show that's sort of like, I don't know, that looks like it could be a good show, but I'm not going to sign up for uh, whatever this streamer is just to watch that one show. You know what I mean? So yeah, I'm excited to have uh, one championship over here on Amazon Prime, which, by the way, pretty sure they signed me up for without asking me yeah. uh, years ago exactly. in a in a bold faced gambit that I would not cancel. And they have been absolutely correct <laughs> in that assumption. Amazon Prime uh, one on Amazon Prime Video one that the main card will start at 10 p.m. Eastern. How about that?
1: Not even the middle of the night, early morning shit. We're starting at uh around the time that the North American fight fans are used to.
0: Yeah. It looks like that's going to go down. August 26th would be, which would be Friday. And then uh, a second live event is set to take place on September 30th. According to this press release that I just got emailed to me today. So, uh, you know, they're getting out in front of it. Yeah. Well, no
1: UFC this weekend. Good timing.
0: Yeah. And I just, this just landed just now. RSVP reminder, prime video and one championship watch party.
1: So, Okay. Just you
0: know, tell me more about that. Take it easy.
1: Just fucking slow down. Watch party. It's like I,
0: I might be heading over to Thirty Eighth Street in New York, New York, to do this watch party.
1: Okay. You know what?
0: I I don't believe you. I'm just gonna no, say probably that. Probably not going to that. Probably not going to that. Anyway, we got a lot to talk about uh, this week. UFC 278 generated a whole shitload of listener mail. So we're going to try to do as much of that as we can at the beginning of the show and then sprinkle some in as we move through the actual meat of the proper this week. Don't forget you're listening to the co-main event podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at CME if you nasty and at Facebook at Facebook.com slash co-main event. This show, show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and your podcast libraries and if you think we're having fun right now you can catch us all week long over at patreon.com co-main event. We're over there all week three additional podcasts that includes the Wednesday live chat, a full hour where we answer questions from the beloved patrons of the co-main event. We've also got the Friday power hour, an additional hour of curated MMA talk every single week and of course for the true Heads. The Thursday doing the damn thing uh podcast. That's the one where we talk about all this stuff not related to MMA, but still germane to our audience. People seem to enjoy it. Head over patreon.com/slash co-main event. Join the team at any one of our three handy tiers of patronage. We'd love to see you over there. You know what's going on right now? Over on the CME official Discord, they're trying to organize a fantasy football league. Okay, nice. Yeah, so if you're out there listening and you're like I need somebody to play fantasy football with. Here's what you do. You join the Patreon. We hook you up with a link to the Discord. You go over there. You sign up for the Fantasy Football League. You might even get your chance to kick my tail in fantasy football because they're trying to get me to join. Oh, yeah. And I've essentially agreed to it. Oh, I got to get in on this. That's going to be easy money for everybody else. How
1: how do I get in on this action?
0: Well, if you cared, you could go over to the Discord and find out.
1: Well, I was just, okay. But you just, you handle it, okay? Let me know. I'll come up with a clever team name. And you just let me know when I need to show up for the draft.
0: I mean, you're going to have to take some responsibility here, man. I'm not See, running your team I don't,
1: you. I don't like that.
0: You're a grown Already man. Already we're off to a bad start. I'm not running your team for you. You got to get over there and do it yourself. You can auto-draft if you want. Okay. This week's music comes to us from longtime listener James, a.k.a. the Funk Soul Brother, retired amateur MMA fighter and hip-hop producer. He lives in Seoul. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at Instagram.com FSBBeats or at YouTube.com C slash Funk Soul Brother Beats. And as everybody knows by now, the word soul in Funk Soul Brother is S-E-O-U-L. See what he did there? Yeah. Three rounds as usual this week in the co event podcast. In round number one, it was an amazing finish at UFC 278. A greatest moment of your life. Highlight for Leon Edwards that almost certainly dooms the welterweight division to an immediate rematch. And in round number two, go on, Luke Rockhold. It's the last uh, 10 seconds of your career, bud. Might as well rub your head blood all over that other dude. Give him something to remember you by, man. And in round number three... Marab Duval, I still can't say this guy's goddamn name. Davosvili? Say it. Davosvili? Marab. Just say, this is like the only
1: one Marab that everybody's talking about right now. They'll know who you mean.
0: Yeah, they know who I mean. He went zero for 16 on his takedown attempts against Jose Aldo and still won the fight, which, even for a devout grappling fanatic like me, was, I mean, I guess. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by our friends at Fulton and Rourke. Fulton and Rourke has been a sponsor of the CME for years. We stand by their award-winning grooming products. We use them ourselves. We've met the guys from Fulton and Rourke. They're amazing. Whether you want the two-in-one body wash and shampoo, whether you want the deodorant, whether you want any of their enormous selection of solid colognes, it's all quality stuff. You can get it in containers that are huge and will just, lasts you forever. And like I told you last week, man, if you're worried about your waste, if you're trying to be nice to the environment, a lot of the Fulton and Rourke containers are refillable. So when you're done with them, you don't have to throw them away. You can just order a refill. They send it to you. You pop it right in there. You're good to go. You don't have to throw away a bunch of plastic like you might have to do with some of the other grooming products. This whole time, Ben, that we've been talking about this latest advertising campaign for Fulton and Work. I've been using the same giant tub of the body wash, yeah. and I swear to God, I use it every day. I'm I'm not even half done with it. Like that thing is I'll be an old man rolling up in here talking about how I'm washing my white beard with the Fulton and Work body wash. That's how big the tub is. That's how long it's going to last me.
1: You know what? And I really appreciate that they do that because I don't know about you, for me, I have to usually go through several stages of realizing, "Oh wait, I'm out of body wash." I should get some the next time I'm at the store. And then as soon as you leave the shower, all thoughts about what goes on in the shower are completely vanished from your mind. You're not going to remember to pick up that body wash. You're going to have to have this same realization at least three or four times before you're finally going to get it through your head to put it on the shopping list. Now I got that big ass container with the giant ass pump thing on the top. I'm just like, no problem, man. I'm not going to be out of this for a
0: while. Out of sight, out of mind. I know over at your house you live by a real simple rule. And it's what happens in the shower stays in the shower.
1: 100%. Yeah. For, for a lot of, of cool reasons. stuff. Yeah.
0: Going on over at Fulton and Rourke. If you want to check it out for yourself, CME listeners can save 15% on their first purchase with the coupon code IFUNASTY. That's all one word. nasty over at FultonandRourke.com. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from deranged Donald. And wouldn't you know it. He writes, scale of 1 to 10, how surprised were you that not only was Mike Perry versus MVP a decent bare-knuckle boxing match, but also that Mike Perry, and he puts this in quotes, quote-unquote, won. Personally, I was surprised. Uh, I have to admit, I have only seen the highlights of Mike Perry versus uh, Michael Venom Page in the bare-knuckle boxing match. But when I saw the results flow through my social media feed when I was just sitting there refreshing, I admit I was also surprised. Yeah. That Mike Perry wins this thing uh, via majority decision after some kind of sudden death extra round that they just tagged on the end of this fight, which was news to me that we do that over in BKFC. I don't know if it was news to Mike Perry and Michael Venom Page, but uh, we went to an extra round. It sounded like Michael Page was just tired, tired, tired. And then uh, Mike Perry rolls up in there and gets the the majority decision. Yeah,
1: I went back and watched it because, like you, I was on a road trip with my daughter, sort of our last end-of-summer road trip this weekend. And so just checking in where I could on social media uh, during one of our many visits to the hotel pool. And I saw the image of the two of them standing there at the end of the fight, and Mike Perry looks like a smuggling... uh, peanut M&Ms out of the like the, the shoplifting out of the store in his jaw. And you're going, wait a minute. You're telling me he won? This is this is, this is a picture from a fight that he won because he looks <laughs> like he is feeling some effects of bare knuckle prize fighting at, at that moment. And then when I went back and watched the fight, it seemed to me like maybe what happened is that for one thing, uh, MVP was just sort of running out of space in that, that BKFC ring. It's not a big ring. Man, it's not a giant fighting surface meant to, you know, promote some action, you could say. And a lot of times he was just he was trying to do his usual thing, like his stance and his movement was very much very similar to what you see from him in MMA. Yet it just didn't work as well because he was running out of space, running into the ropes all the time, trying to get away from Mike Perry. Uh, He was still using his same sort of stance, but and like moving in as if he was trying to set up a flying knee or something. But you can't do that. In BKFC, and so it just seemed like maybe he was not ready for some of the adjustments he had to make. And Mike Perry was just pressuring him hard the whole time. Kept coming forward, didn't seem to care about getting punched in the face, and seemed like he just sort of wore him down over time. Uh, even though, I mean, the, the first few rounds you're looking at, you're going like, okay, it seems like he is the more skilled puncher, the more skilled boxer. But Mike Perry just sort of did not give a fuck his way. To a, a narrow decision victory here.
0: Yeah. Well, not giving a fuck is a good skill to have. It's kind of his whole thing
1: at this point.
0: Especially if you're gonna be a bare knuckle fighter. I wonder if Michael Venom Page now regrets getting this special discompensation from Bellator to go out and have a quote unquote boxing match and then turning around and being like, ha jokes. Actually what I'm doing is fighting Mike Perry in a bare knuckle boxing match, and now he has he has been defeated. Yeah, I mean
1: I guess maybe the the question of whether he regrets it or not is tied up in how much did he make to go do it. Because yeah. for BKFC, we've heard a lot of people saying, hey, they pay surprisingly well. Uh, we keep waiting for one of those checks to bounce, it seems, uh, because we're just like, how? How could you be doing this and still going forward with it? And yet... This is the exact kind of fight that BKFC needs to make in order to kind of make any ground. I, I wrote a, th- a thing something like on this for the Action Network uh, last week about how this was a fight that helped them get on, that like, get their odds on DraftKings uh, at least in some states for the first time, and it's fights like this that get some of the bigger sports books and some things that take notice of them and start to take them a little more seriously. And it's also fights like this where fans go. Well, okay, I was just making fun of this shit before, but I got to see this. I do yeah. have to see what the fuck happens here. And yeah. that seems like the the path, at least for the near future, going forward for a promoter like BKFC is to make some of these fights that have no names. And that we hear the matchup and we go, well, goddamn you, I guess I have to watch it.
0: Agreed. Uh, Next question this week comes to us from Trevor Finch, who writes, holy shit, Tyson Pedro, I've been looking for another fighter to make my guy. And after that performance, I am all in how high can Tyson go in this division? Now that he is back and refocused, of course, the curtain jerker on the UFC 278 pay-per-view card, Tyson Pedro. Uh, defeats Harry Hunsucker by first-round TKO a minute and five seconds into the fight. Body kick and punches is the official stoppage there. Uh, this is two wins in a row now for Tyson Pedro. He beat Ike Villanueva back in April of this year, and he follows that up with this win uh, over Harry Hunsucker, both of them first-round stoppages. Prior to that, he had gone one and three in his last four UFC fights. He had lost to Shogun Hua, which is never a great sign. He had lost to Oven St. Pru, and he had lost to Alir Latifi. Uh, He uh, mixed in a a win in there against Saprobek Safarov, but uh, he had not been great. And now he's out to two wins in a row. I think that there is some reason to believe that the UFC is fairly high on keeping kangaroo paws, Tyson Pedro around. He is 30 years old. He is an action fighter at light heavyweight. Uh, You can see why they might want to get him out onto a little bit of a win streak here. And frankly, Harry Hunsucker is the guy you bring
1: in. Yeah, see, that's if, what I if was going to say. You,
0: if that's what you want to do. Here is how Harry Hunsucker has fared in his UFC career. He lost his fight on Dana White's Contender Series against uh, Jared Van Der Ra back in November of 2020. Then he went and picked up a win on the independent circuit. He came back to the UFC, and since then, he has gone 0-3, all of them, including the loss, by the way, on Dana White's Contender Series. In fact, yeah, All of Harry Hunsucker's professional losses are first round KO or TKO losses. He had lost to Taito Ivasa. He had lost to Justin Taffa. And now he comes in and loses to Tyson Pedro, all of them via first round TKO. So not that I want to put the tinfoil hat on. But Tyson Pedro was a real big betting favorite here, and there is some reason to believe that matchmakers were kind of like, let's get our boy Tyson Pedro out to a couple straight wins, and we'll give him Harry Hunsucker, who frankly stays getting knocked out in the first round.
1: Yeah, this was what you might call, if you were being kind, a showcase fight for Tyson Pedro. We want him to look good, and we want him to get a victory so that people get excited about him and start talking about him. What's Harry Hunsucker doing? And so, yeah, that's that's what we're doing here. That's why he, I think Tyson Pedro was the biggest favorite on the night. He came in like a seven to one favorite. Obviously, everybody saw that that's what was going on. So I would say, I mean, Tyson Pedro seems like there's a lot of potential there. Seems like a rad dude. I, I'm all for, let's, let's keep an eye on him and see what develops there. But let's also be real that this was sort of a setup by the UFC to, to get this guy a situation where, in which he could flourish, setting him up for success, you might say.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Now, that's not to say in this new look light heavyweight division that Tyson Pedro couldn't have some success because he absolutely could with John Jones out of the way in a bulking phase uh, going up there to heavyweight. You know, I think a lot of these light heavyweights have a brighter future now, and that includes Tyson Pedro. And it will be interesting to see what happens to him. But uh, this fight was eh, it's not so much a setup, but let's just say a great opportunity for Tyson (laughs) Pedro to go out there and look good. And he did exactly that. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Backpack Boombap. Nice. So you can see what he did there. Yep. He writes Last weekend's UFC card was fought at altitude, and it had an obvious effect on the fighter. During the Sean Woodson Luis Saldana fight, Daniel Cormier mentioned that Leon Edwards had been in Salt Lake City for two weeks before his fight, uh, but because the other fighters weren't paid as much, they couldn't afford the ability to acclimate. Uh, was was this a case of Cormier telling on himself in regard to fighter pay and is it an example of it affecting the quality of the viewing experience Yes. now i don't know why it would be daniel cormier telling on himself though well daniel cormier does not cut the checks yeah, but it, for the ufc fighters i get what, what backpack
1: boom bap is getting at is that maybe daniel cormier did not mean to make a point about fighter pay and about yeah. how and in fact make sort of a trenchant observation about the way in which fighters are compensated affects the quality of the product that we, the fans, receive for our money. But he accidentally kind of did. Because it's very true that a lot of these guys, if you're fighting on the undercard, you already got your expenses for your camp and uh, you know, you're, you're trying to sort of budget out your money. You probably don't have it built in with this pretty meager payout so that you can go to Salt Lake City two weeks early.
0: And yeah, you're not going to be able to get time off from Texas Roadhouse. Exactly. I assume you are a server.
1: Exactly. You you need to be there for your night manager shift at Walgreens, and yeah. this just not compatible with you taking off to Salt Lake City two weeks before the fight. And yet, a lot of these fights you're watching it fatigue was definitely becoming a factor, and that and it made in some cases for just like worse fights because guys were getting tired. Um, that said. I also am still sometimes surprised at MMA fighters, like how often they will either not know that they're going to be fighting that uh, elevation or not really plan for it until they kind of are looking around going like, oh, shit, I guess so. I guess this one is uh, a little bit higher than what I'm used to. I mean, for some guys like Kamaru Usman, you train in Denver, not a big issue, you know, like you're already kind of used to that stuff. Uh, a lot of these other guys, I mean, I've, I've been surprised at how often I've heard fighters be like, yeah, you know, uh, my coach looked it up on Wikipedia uh, nine days out and we realized, oh, wait, that might be a factor. Or I got there and I went for a run and I went, oh, shit, <laughs> it's kind of too late to do anything. Yeah but it is the this is sort of the downside of this model that the UFC has where it says everybody's independent contractors right we're letting them go do their own thing you just we'll, we'll send you the plane info and you show up on Tuesday or whatever Monday or Tuesday of fight week and we we trust that you will have done the homework on this and if you haven't yeah. too bad
0: yeah. Uh, a fellow by the name of Cain Velasquez at one time yeah. lost the UFC heavyweight championship because he showed up to Mexico City thinking that uh, the altitude wasn't going to be that big a deal. Meanwhile, Fabricio Verdum had basically been living in a party house uh, in Mexico City. <laughs> he was living down in the, the mountains stretch.
1: above Mexico City. He was even higher up than where he was going to fight.
0: Shaking hands with everybody like Rocky. And uh, next thing you know, Fabricio Verdum is your UFC heavyweight champion. It does seem to happen. More frequently than you would think, especially considering that this is the highest level of mixed martial arts. And uh, even though he didn't mean to, I feel like Daniel Cormier makes a... a A nice observation there maybe these guys need to get paid more and then maybe we'll have a higher quality of fights to watch
1: it seems though that the UFC never uh really considers this stuff because remember when we had the like the all heavyweight main card in Denver and everybody went oh man this was a bad idea and then you know going to Salt Lake like the UFC seems like it's making these decisions based on a completely other factor than ever thinking about like I wonder if the performances will suffer Uh, Due to elevation in this particular city. And instead, they go to Salt Lake City. Loved it. Coming back next year. Can't wait.
0: Hmm. I wonder what they could be based on. Do I have to sing the song? Hmm. Money, 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 money. Next question this week comes to us from Alex Penny, who writes, El Kukui versus the Leech. Is this a bad matchup for Tony Ferguson or an absolutely awful matchup for Tony Ferguson? What are we even doing here, Ben? Tony Ferguson, four losses in a row, most recently got kicked right in his damn face at UFC 274 by Michael Chandler in May. And now he not only is going to move up in weight, but he is going to fight Li Jingleong who is two and 2-2 two in his last four, but those losses are to Neil Magny and Kamzat Shumaev. Like this, I, this is a rough, tough, big, hard-hitting welterweight, and w- Tony Ferguson is going to fight this dude now at this stage in his career? Oh, ah. What are we doing? Is somebody mad at Tony Ferguson?
1: It, it does seem like the UFC said, okay, we will see your bad idea and raise you a bad idea. You think you're going to go up to welterweight at this point in your career? Okay. How about this bad matchup stylistically that also would not do an absolute ton for you? Not a big name matchup or anything where there's way more downside than there is upside. How about that? We'll throw a bad idea on top of your bad idea. And yeah, it does seem like this is the one you make to let you, let everybody know that you are exiting the Tony Ferguson business and you have decided to get what you can get on the way out the door.
0: Man, this is almost like... Tony Ferguson showed up at the UFC Christmas party last year and didn't recognize Mick Maynard thought he was the, the coat check guy. <laughs> Gave and him was his car like, keys
1: hey, like don't scratch yeah. it you son of a bitch.
0: Will you, will you hang up my fur coat? And Mick Maynard was like what the fuck? I'll get you. It's so the last thing I do week. Tony Ferguson. Yeah. I- Vowed revenge and now he's going to get it. Tony Ferguson fighting Li Liang. I don't understand that at all. Uh, last question this week. Dean Draper. He wrote in and he asked who the fuck are the Gronks? <laughs>
1: Oh, now you're going to ask us, like, we're supposed to know what's going on with the Gronks.
0: I I mean, I I know one Gronk,
1: right? Okay. I know the Gronk. I was led to believe that there was only one Gronk because we were calling him Gronk. We weren't saying, like, we no one had ever specified which Gronk. Therefore, it led me to think that that's the Gronk. It's the only Gronk yeah. we have.
0: Yeah, Rob Gronkowski. And then what if we find out, it turns out, oh, he's actually Lil little Gronk. There's a much bigger and much more dangerous Gronk out there, just Gronking around.
1: And we're going to do a cast of Gronks. A Gronk cast, if you will.
0: It's a very Gronk Christmas. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I I mean, what is there to say of it other than uh, there are some Gronks, you know?
0: (laughs) It's a murder of Gronks out there in the audience. A rafter of Gronks. Anyway, that is going to do it for this week's uh, listener mail. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website comainevent.com and you click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Remember, this week's co-main event podcast is brought to you in part by our friends at BetterHelp. I have told you over the last several weeks about my own experience using BetterHelp during the pandemic. Went on to uh, get some therapy for my anxiety. Turned out to be great. It was a very easy service to use. I got personalized one-on-one therapy sessions. Helped me out a lot, uh, moving on with my life and and making me feel better. Ben Folks is also. Uh, had a similar experience doing some therapy and stuff like that. BetterHelp is an online therapy service that offers, offers video, phone, and even live chat therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. It's a great service. You can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Right now, our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash CoMain. Again, that is BetterHelp.com dot com slash co-main. So go there and check that out at betterhelp.com. Well, Ben, the main event of UFC 278 was a pretty weird fight, if I do say so myself. Big start for Leon Edwards in the first round. Kamaru Usman takes over. And eventually, by the time we got to the final round, it seemed like he had broken... Leon Edwards' spirit, Daniel Cormier, is out there saying they were writing his obituary during the fight. You had uh, Dean Thomas jump on there and say that Leon Edwards was a a broken man, essentially, that his spirit was broken. And then in in a, a strange fifth round that included not only a referee restart from the clinch with about two and a half minutes to go, but a brief pause in the action due to a low blow about... 55 seconds or a minute before the actual stoppage. But it turned out Leon Edwards had one more big shot left in his arsenal through a really nice combination, frankly, kind of like a one-two then with the left high kick right behind it. Catches Kamaru Usman smack on the jaw and knocks him out cold with his eyes open. And now you got yourself a new UFC welterweight champion. This was one of the more sudden and shocking ends to a ufc title fight that i can recall
1: yeah especially i mean to let you know how i experienced this one i woke up sunday morning uh on the road with my kids looked up my phone and the first image i saw when i opened up twitter or or instagram or one of them was the sort of upside down shot of kamara usman laying there eyes open, and I was like, that's a weird way for him to be celebrating his victory over Leon Edwards. And it took me a second to realize, oh, wait a minute, you tell me he got knocked clean out? I was not expecting that. Frankly, what I was expecting was everything else about this fight leading up to that moment. With the possible exception of Leon Edwards scoring a takedown and going straight to mount on him in the first round. But everything else that happened before that, it seemed like we were grinding our way steadily to the not exactly thrilling yet inevitable kind of Kamaru Usman victory in this fight. And that's what makes it feel so strange and what makes the the climate of the welterweight division right now feel strange in the wake of it is that it felt like we were just very steadily and kind of monotonously doing the thing that we expected to be doing. We're walking all the way up to the... What we feel like we're all kind of, you know, getting ready, getting up, getting our coats, trying to beat the traffic out because we know what's going to happen. We're just going to read off the scorecards. Kamara Usman's going to win, and then gets kicked right in his damn head and goes down. And you're like, whoa, holy shit! You can't call it a lucky shot. It's not like he's just like threw something wild and and Kamara Usman walked him to it. Like he set him up for that. He caught him leaning right into it. He, he threw that left hand out there just to get him to, to lean away from it, right into the kick. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful yeah. execution uh, of that shot to, to knock him out. And yet, it also, like, already you see the odds come out on a potential trilogy fight where Kamaru Usman is favored because of everything
0: else. Yeah. It, uh, we, did, we did get this question from Red Shack Guy who wrote, what's your gambling take for Usman versus Edwards three? Usman is still probably a minus 300 favorite to win, right? Right. Uh, which I guess that seems right, but also, I mean, for the majority of this fight, despite the fact that Kamara Usman had won rounds two through four pretty handily, I also didn't think Leon Edwards quite looked like a plus 285 underdog because... Even in the, these rounds where he was losing, at times he was having these moments yeah. where he would show, like, wait, this guy's still dangerous. Like, he's he's kind of getting worn out, and he's getting beat. But, like, he, you know, in almost every round, he would crack off a hard shot. And a couple of times he hit Kamaru Usman when it seemed like he stunned him a little bit. So for him to come back and win this fight in the manner that he did was shocking in the moment but it's also just sort of the dangerous guy that Leon Edwards is. And, and my, I I mean, you're probably right just about what the odds will be headed into a third fight, but I would wager that like both camps probably feel somewhat confident about their chances heading into a third fight, because I think Kamar Usman will know what he needs to do differently. And he will say, Hey, I won, you know, 15, 20 minutes of this fight and I can do it again. And I'm still the best in the world and all that. But I think that, uh, Leon Edwards's people will probably look at this fight and see what they did well and see the openings that they had. And uh, you know, you don't if you don't have this fight at altitude, if you don't give up so many bad positions to Kamara Usman, if I am a Leon Edwards cornerman, and by the way, there was some classic Chad Dundas style cornering oh, yeah. in this fight for Leon Edwards, uh, I, I, I still like my chances, even though we're gonna be an underdog, I gotta be real honest. Well, I especially think it'll be
1: interesting to see how the way this ended affects both guys going forward. I mean, because Leon Edwards talked about it, and I've heard other fighters talk about it in the wake of this knockout, where Kamar Usman goes from everybody talking about maybe he's one of the pound-for-pound pound best in the sport, maybe he's going to take over from GSP as the greatest welterweight of all time, you know, going to tie Anderson Silva's record, all that kind of stuff, and then you just get knocked all the way out. And what does that do to your confidence? What do you, how do you come back from that? How do you rebuild your, your, your psyche after something like that? And then on the flip side for Leon Edwards, you got the sense, especially listening to his corner from, and not just before the final round earlier on in the fight where they were saying stuff like, don't let him bully you, you know, like don't, and they're yelling at him. Don't sit there and feel sorry for yourself right now. Like get back in this and, and give it what you got that basically they thought there was a chance that Kamaru Usman is coming in here with so much confidence and so much momentum and maybe Leon Edwards can't, having lost to him once already can't get himself to truly believe that he can go out there and beat him and take the title from him and so that seemed like a psychological worry that they were trying to head off early on is like don't let him just sort of take over and and don't give him the, that respect as like okay he's the champion and, and I'm in awe of the guy like just go out there and take it to him like you would anybody else and that's that could be a hard hill i think for some guys to get up uh, in their minds uh, especially or like when you have a history with that fighter and so now you come back into the rematch and you know you've been in there with the guy you felt what he has and then you knocked him out i mean you were on your way to losing a decision before that happened but still you probably feel way different about it going into it and maybe that affects things too
0: yeah, we got this question from Papa Juan, who wrote, Saturday was a great case for coasting in the final round, right? <laughs> Kamaru went for the kill when he was up 3-1, and it cost him the belt and win purse. Running around for five minutes would have drawn the ire of fans and Dana White, but who cares about that in the long run discourse, if you will? I mean, now, was he really going think, for the kill? I mean, like, he wasn't. This is the thing. Like, he got, we got that restart. Like, he was trying to clinch... Leon Edwards against the cage for as long as he could in this fifth round, and with t- like two twenty-two, I think it was left. It was about two and a half minutes. Uh, Herb Dean went in there and, and restarted him in the in the center of the cage, and so like I kind of felt like Kamara Usman had the right strategy in this third round. Like he wanted to close the distance to kind of. Uh, stuff, the the distance that Leon Edwards needs to crack off those power shots that he throws. And he wanted to keep him pushed up against the fence. He may well, if we had been allowed to stay in that clinch, he might've tried to take his legs out from under him and get another takedown. But then when you get to the center of the cage, maybe at that point, you opt for two and a half minutes of, of evasion. But again, and they even said it during the uh, broadcast, that's just not really Kamaru Usman's style. Like he's more of a in your face, grinding pressure fighter. And so- uh, that's what he was opting to do, and it just so happened in this fight, he got kicked in his face.
1: Yeah, it wasn't like he was going out there hell-bent for a finish or anything. It, it, right,
0: it was, he didn't look wild. It's not like no. he really overextended himself. He just got kicked right in his face.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that can happen to you. You know, you just he, he just did not... He was thinking about that left hand What does, was not thinking about the kick coming up behind it, uh, and he just caught him clean, man. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I... I it seemed to me like by the fifth round, he felt like I've got this guy's number. I know exactly the sequence of stuff that I got to do here. And I mean, maybe you could make an argument that he thought like this one is basically over already and, uh, was just not really worried enough about what Leon Edwards still might have in him. I don't know, but, uh, I that's one of the things that makes me very interested to see how it would go if we do do the immediate trilogy fight. Because, I mean, I could see why Dana White is talking about it afterwards. Like, hey, let's go. Let's take this over to England uh, and do the third fight there. And the way it went up until that point, I, you know, Kamaru Usman's long reign at welterweight. I could definitely see the argument to be made for that. However, it's not like this fight was super exciting before that point. So, in that sense, I can't get terribly hyped for it. Also, let's not act like, however committed the UFC might be to the the trilogy idea here, it, that could not be undone by something as simple as Kamara Usman being like, "Oh, you want it in, uh, you know, February? Mm, how about March?" And they go, "Fuck it. What's where's Kamzat? Yeah. Let's get get the next guy on the list in here." You know, so we'll, yeah. it's not necessarily a given that we're going to end up doing the third one right away.
0: Yeah, and I, I wonder if the, the nature of the outcome here makes people feel less good for Leon Edwards, just because I, I think you, you know, for the moment, I think we have no choice but to feel good for Leon Edwards. Here's a guy who has had so many obstacles in his way all his life to hear him tell it, but even just in his UFC career, such a long road to getting this opportunity uh so many chances where it seemed like he was going to get the title fight and then one for one reason or another it didn't happen and he seemed like one of these guys that was not going to get the title shot until he made it absolutely impossible for the UFC to ignore him as a contender and then I saw our guy Chris Rennie on Twitter pointing out that once he get, got there he waited until the last minute of the fight to uh to get his moment so not taking the easy way out you know is leon edwards certainly in any of this but like you got I feel like you got to feel good for him because of the long and arduous road he has had leading up to this fight. But at the same point, I wonder if it's undermined a little bit by the fact that he pulled this one out of his back pocket a little bit in a fight that he was, you know, one minute away from losing. Yeah. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week?
1: Well, Chad, you mentioned the Gronk cast earlier on where we got we hurt from various Gronks. Did you know Gronks of the world? Dana White. Was made an appearance with the Gronks and they got him to tell the story that it seemed like Dana White would have preferred never to tell publicly about how he was somehow instrumental in trying to get a deal done to bring Tom Brady and the what we previously thought was the only Gronkowski uh, over to the Raiders when they came to Las Vegas. You know, Dana White, big Las Vegas guy, uh, so they had some kind of luxury box at the, the Raiders games, wanted... His guy, Tom Brady, and Gronkowski, his tight end, to come to the Raiders and said that it was all set to happen. And then uh, John Gruden nuked the deal at the end, did, didn't want it. And so Tom Brady and Gronkowski go to Tampa Bay and win a goddamn Super Bowl. Uh, and Gronkowski, it seemed like, kind of surprised Dana White live on the thing to get him to tell this story. But why are you fucking kidding me? Is really about Raiders owner Mark Davis, because at the end of his comments when Dana White was explaining how it is, the, what happened there, he was like, oh, I'm sure Mark Davis is really happy that I ended up telling this story. My kidding me goes to Mark Davis's response. I'm reading this from the big lead. I think they're taking it from a story in the Las Vegas Review-Journal. His quotes. I heard about White's comments, Davis said. That was what, two to three years ago or something? I don't know, man. Talk to Dana. I remember that Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay. That's basically what I remember. I have no idea. Dana has the stories. I love Dana. He's a great, great promoter. Why would this make me upset? I was busy watching the Raiders beat Miami 15-13 and the basketball game Saturday. Are you fucking Ooh. kidding me? That is some wow. salty ass shit, bro. For just, uh, you know, where for, for one thing, to, be, to act like... Man, that was two to three years ago. I can't even remember the time that I almost had Tom Brady and Gronkowski, but I didn't get them. And they went together to another team and won the goddamn Super Bowl. Why would I remember that? What's what's noteworthy about that? It was two or three years ago. Ancient fucking history, basically. And then you got to just add in a little thing like, I'm not even watching their shit. I'm watching my shit and the basketball game. You know, are you fucking kidding me? Wait, come on, man. Just maybe just lean into it and have a little fun with it and admit that what happened there and everything. And that because you sound like you're telling us how upset you're not. You know, <laughs> he's not mad, he's laughing. No, I'm actually laughing right now. Are you fucking kidding me? Come on, man.
0: Come on, you know what that is, though? That's uh, Mark Davis saying stuff about Dana White. That Dana White would say about somebody else.
1: It is actually, oh, I don't
0: remember that. This guy's just telling stories. I don't know. I was I was watching our shit. I'm not watching their shit. Like this guy just Dana White of Dana White. Yeah. If I'm kidding Why me. would I possibly remember
1: the time that I almost got Tom Brady and Gronkowski <laughs> but I didn't and they won the Super Bowl for somebody else? Why would that stick out for me? The owner of a fucking football team.
0: <laughs> ben, did you notice this week that the UFC Twitter account posted a couple of legitimately like halfway funny and interesting videos? I did. They did a, uh, like a faux tourism commercial for Salt Lake City where they had all the fighters kind of in front of a green screen, which I thought was both well-acted and like odd for the UFC to show this sense of humor about the place that it was in, the place that it was about to do one of its many on-the-road fighting events. And then a little bit later in the week, they did a video where Justin Gaethje went down a ski jump run at the U.S. Olympic Training Center And Jalen Turner was uh, scared to go off the high dive. And it was like, you know, pretty well done, pretty funny. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here, man? Are you fucking kidding me? Did did, Did we get a new video guy at the UFC? Did we get an intern who's fired up to like do some funny videos? Did we suddenly, as a company, decide, wait, you know what? We actually will promote some fighters. Are you fucking kidding me? Like what? You can't do this to me. I feel like I know what the UFC does and what they're about. And then all of a sudden gonna throw a wrinkle out there like oh no actually we are gonna do some funny videos are you fucking kidding me what's going on with this are you kidding me?
1: I love the idea that it's like a 21 year old video in turn it's like I got some ideas guys and I'm like sure whatever kid
0: throw it out there on the Twitters kid just don't make them too good we don't want people to get raised expectations
1: comes in here full of piss and vinegar ends up doing some actual promoting
0: how about if we made a fight poster that looked different from last week you're fired <laughs> kid get out of here <laughs> All right, that's gonna do it for round number one we'll be right back round number two Two of the co-main event this week is brought to you by, by our guys at NordVPN. Ben, we've been big fans of NordVPN at the CME for months now. You and I both have it. We both use it. NordVPN is an outstanding way to not only keep your personal data safe while you're surfing the web, uh, but also while you're traveling, man. You're just out doing your normal stuff. Your phone is bouncing around from one Wi-Fi to another. NordVPN is a great way uh, to keep you safe, I know you've actually been using NordVPN longer than I have. What do you think the uh, the best single advantage of NordVPN is?
1: Oh, you mean the encryption powerhouse? That is NordVPN. Yeah. Well, you know me, especially when I'm out there, when I was on the road traveling around, hooking up to various uh, Wi-Fi public Wi-Fi networks, my NordVPN kicks in right away, and then I don't have to worry about like, hey, am I sitting here in the lobby of this hotel getting my bank details stole? NordVPN got my back. That's what I appreciate.
0: Just like the CME Patreon, NordVPN has three handy tiers for its customers. You can get the standard plan for your basic VPN needs. You can get the plus plan if you need a little something extra. Or if you really want to go for it, you can get the complete plan, which will take care of your every need. You can enjoy the leading VPN service and malware blocker. You can generate strong uh, passwords and store them, and you can protect files in an encrypted cloud Just remember, CME listeners can get their exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main and get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus four months for free. It's completely risk-free with NordVPN's 30-day money-back guarantee. Ben, in the co-main event here where Paulo Costa eventually emerges victorious over Luke Rockhold, I will start here. I don't know that I have ever seen worse body language in the cage from a professional MMA fighter going back probably to like vintage Mark Coleman than what uh, Luke Rockhold displayed here. He He was up there on the vaunted Coleman index. And in fact, I have no idea how he made it through this fight, man. This is just like, you know, he said he felt old out there. He retired after after it was done. But I was actually just impressed with the sheer heart of Luke Rockhold to make it through this. When it was clear, like, maybe he got his nose busted early on. And then for the rest of the fight, he was bumming, man. He just was not feeling great out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you end the first round with, like, hands going immediately onto your knees, as soon as you hear that horn, that's a bad sign. Yeah, That's always a bad sign.
0: I was worried when he got over to the corner... Like, you know, this this isn't a bunch of rookies working Luke Rockhold's corner. He's got a bunch of heavy-hitting UFC uh, veteran trainers and cornermen over there, and it's almost like they didn't know what to do with him. He goes over there, he's leaning in the corner, and they're like, sit down, Luke, and he just, like, wouldn't respond to them. And then they were like, or, you know, just stand if that's how you feel more comfortable. That's fine. <laughs> it's like they didn't – This is like even these guys who have been in, in a million UFC fights were sort of like – uh We're not totally sure what to do or say here.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's not like you can't imagine several different reasons why he might have this performance. One thing, we already mentioned uh, that you're going to Salt Lake City. uh, The elevation seemed to tire some people out. Getting your nose all busted up right away so that you can't breathe through it, that's also not great. Um, Also, you're 37 years old and you haven't fought in a minute. And you're coming back in here trying to do it again. After and As he said afterwards, I'm fucking old. Uh, all those things could add up to this kind of performance. You are right, though, that especially for people like your boy Ben Folks who had Costa via uh, second round TKO and his extremely specific betting pick here. After Luke Rockhold ends the first round with blood gushing out of his nose, bent over at the waist, sucking air, you're feeling pretty good about that pick you're thinking yeah. here we go. Paulo Costa just needs to polish this man off and uh looks like you know you could basically knock him over with a feather at this point. Let's go. Let's let's get it done. And he somehow hangs on and is making a fight of it in the third round, which I did not expect. So, yeah, you, you got to give Luke Rockhold his his due daps for that one. Um am I the only one though who especially I came watch this one after the fact People were talking about it in the commentaries, talking about like, what a fight, what a fight this. And I'm like, well, it's kind of a mess. Like both guys seem kind of tired here and not exactly capable of doing a whole lot. Let's let's maybe slow down talking about it like it is fucking Hagler Hearns here when really it is just two tired guys having to stand there for 30 seconds just to sum up enough energy to throw one punch.
0: Yeah. I did, it did cross my mind as I was watching that it is sort of a broad commentary on the UFC, UFC itself and the culture that this is sort of like the fight that they love. Like these, this is the kind of fight. I mean maybe not the uh the overwhelming levels of fatigue that were happening during the fight but like this is the kind of fight the UFC wants, sort of like a back and forth Sloppy brawl where both people have their moments and it's just heart on heart. And in the end, one guy smears his head blood all over another guy. Uh And hey, man, fight of the night. They both got uh $50,000 bonuses here for fight of the night. I wonder, considering the week that Luke Rockhold had leading up to this fight, which we talked about at length on the Friday Power Hour over on the Patreon page last week. You know, he was he was not shy about uh, voicing his displeasure with almost everyone, including the UFC fighter pay system and bonus structure. I wonder when it came down to cutting Luke Rockhold, his his post fight uh, fight of the night bonus money, if they were like, you sure you want this? (laughs) You had a lot to say about it. You want this money or should we just keep it? If you think that, uh, that it's a bad system, we can.
1: Dana White seemed like he was very ready to make nice with Luke Rockhold afterwards, where he was like, oh, you know, I got a lot of respect for how he how he fought in there. How he I'd i never say anything bad about Luke Rockhold. And it's like, well, you already have. Like, you've said a lot of bad things about Luke Rockhold over the years. So, like, it, that that ship has kind of sailed. But, I mean, I do w- want to make sure we give him his credit for... Because coming in there at this point in his career, we were all thinking Luke Rockhold is chinny. He is sort of... The, the game has passed him by, and... He's too old to be doing this still. And then he went in there and if you'd told me at the end of first round, like you look at that guy's posture, that guy's body language, you tell me like we're going, if you had offered me a bet that we go to decision on that. And like, there's no way there's just absolutely no way we're we're making it that far. We didn't think it was going to make that far before the first punch was thrown. Uh, and so for him to show that kind of toughness, I guess that's a good though realistic one to go out on, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about Paulo Costa in a second, but like, how do you think we will remember Luke Rockhold? I was trying to think about this in the wake of this fight, just because here's a guy that was in fact, both strike force and UFC middleweight champion. Uh, as we talked about also on Friday, maybe had his best days in strike force, yeah. like fought some legitimately tough opponents and beat them over there in strike force. And then it was a little bit of an up and down, maybe infrequent UFC, fighter, but at the same time kind of felt like he never got his due in terms of how big and mobile and tough he was as a middleweight fighter, and despite the fact that like, clearly, for one reason or another, he struggled with his cardio in this fight against Paulo Costa, I believe he also showed what a good fighter and how dangerous he is because Paulo Costa is right up there near the top of the division in terms of contenders, uh, and Luke Rockhold even in a terrible state kind of went blow for blow with him for 15 minutes, so You know, I I don't know how many I don't know how big of a list, how expansive of a list you would have to have of greatest middleweights of all time before you get around to mentioning Luke Rockhold. But like, how will you remember him? He seems like a guy who is probably not going to get the credit that he deserves for just being a tough ass, good middleweight.
1: Yeah, you're right. It does seem like he could be too easily forgotten or too easily downplayed. Uh, But I mean. Let's just say when they when they promoted him as an athletic surfer, they were not wrong. Yeah, those things are true, uh, and I, I guess it does require a little bit of a sort of like a an edit to your memories because I remember seeing him in Strike Force at the time and thinking this is the beginning sort of for Luke Rockhold. He is going to go up from here, and the 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 real stuff of his career is still to come. And, you know, had some good run in the UFC to get the middleweight title. We were all shocked to see him lose it the way he did to Michael Bisping. And now I sort of look back on it and go, wait a minute, maybe the Strike Force days, maybe that was the peak. Um, and I don't know. I mean, like we talk sometimes about how you can do it to anyone where you can look back at their wins and be like, yeah, you beat this guy. But what does it really mean? I think he had some wins back there in the strike force days that... Go the other way, if we're willing to to see that for what it was, like when you're going out there and you're beating guys like Array and Tim Kennedy and stuff like that, like those those are legit fights that you're having there. Uh, and I think that some like that part of his career should be remembered a little better than maybe it will be.
0: Yeah. And then for Paulo Costa, like obviously a guy who at times seems like an unbelievable weirdsmobile. On his social media, he was coming off his only two losses of his professional career to Israel Adesanya and Marvin Vittori in 2020 and 2021 leading into this Luke Rockhold fight. He has had trouble making the weight, and yet he shows up for this one, uh, makes the weight no problem, seems like he is in great shape, comes in there against Luke Rockhold, has this sloppy fight that he sort of dominates, but at the same time, Luke Rockhold definitely had his openings. And now, Paulo Costa is a free agent. He has fought out his contract. He's 31 years old. Dana White has said he hopes that they can re-sign Paulo Costa, but like, what? I, I struggle to even tell you what kind of dude we are dealing with here in Paulo Costa, and I mean that out of the cage and in terms of like how good can he be at 185 pounds?
1: Yeah, it does seem like Paulo Costa is a uh, the the prototype weirdsmobile fighter at this point and you never know what the hell to expect because it's like you might show up one time and um, immediately hit the ground and be like look guys i'm not making 185 let's just be honest about that right now and then the next time shows up and looks absolutely fucking shredded and who knows what the next time will be also told us before this fight that it, this was going to be the last fight on his contract then wait now there's one more Never mind, we're, we're we're wrong about the the number of fights left on the contract. It seems so. At least one more fight, and then we'll see what happens. I don't know, man. One fight to the next. It's hard to predict what's coming for Paulo Costa.
0: Yeah, and that seems like maybe it will be his definitive trait. Yeah, uh, but he's still a pretty young guy, so we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Uh, why do you rub your blood all over someone's face? Is it is that like because Luke Rockhold and Paulo Costa were John during this fight? Like immediately before this. Paulo Casa was saying something to him and you could clearly see Luke Rockhold yell, fuck you at him twice, (laughs) uh, which I think, you know, got Luke Rockhold some fans. But uh, when you're on top of him, are you just being a a jerk, a dick? Are you trying to get him to move? Is is there like a tactical idea there or are you just like, man, last 10 seconds of my career, I might as well rub my blood all over this other man's face?
1: I mean, I think you're trying to take a weakness and turn it into a strength. You know, yeah. look, this guy made me bleed all over the place. All right, let's see how he likes it. And plus, you're on top of guard. You're kind of tied up there. Or you don't have a whole lot of options of what to do. Let's just let's just do something to him. Let's do something that he won't like. That is kind of the nature of fighting, right? Like, I'm in there trying to do <laughs> some stuff to him that he won't like. What can I do here? My options seem kind of limited. Well, I can think of one thing. Rub a bunch of my head blood all over his face. He won't like that. Yeah. And in fact, he did not. He said afterwards it was pretty disgusting.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. And, you know, given the UFC commentators' continued misunderstandings of how a fight is scored, I mean, they could probably be like, he's scoring points right now. Okay. We're he's scoring about points, the, the, rubbing the... his blood all over all over Paulo Casa's face.
1: We've talked about it before, about how Daniel Cormier, sometimes when his boys are fighting, he has a yeah. hard time. This one... It became very apparent, especially because you could hear him doing it. He'd get very excited when Luke Rockhold was doing anything. and would be like, oh, yeah. gu- guillotine, here we go. You know. But then he'd kind of try to catch himself and then turn around and try to say something nice about Paulo Costa right afterwards. So it didn't seem so obvious what he's doing. But it's also like, man, in the first round, he's over there talking about how getting taken down by Paulo Costa and being flattened out on your back is good, actually, for Luke Rockhold. And you're like... <laughs> I get it, man. You guys are boys. You've been boys for a long time. Maybe that's why we shouldn't have him calling this one though. Maybe he could sit out for, maybe Dean Thomas could come sit in the chair just for this one, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and I did think Luke Rockhold kind of, uh, Gave away some of his best moments in this fight, which Daniel Cormier also pointed out to his credit, where like he did get Luke or did get Paulo Costa on the ground where he wanted him, but then like he was kind of in too big of a hurry, and so he lost those positions. Well, yeah,
1: especially Uh, because you're you're tired and you think you see an opportunity to hurry up and finish the fight, and your brain will get you to do dumb things because you're just like you want to be done, you want to get out of there, and that's how you end up giving away the position.
0: I will say, I agree with you. It is weird in the UFC that we do this thing where teammates or former teammates broadcast each other's fights and i think it's a bad position to put everyone in and if you wanted to have dean thomas come in and sit in for that fight i would not argue with it at all but the video that was posted of after the fight yeah where cormier goes up and like uh grabs him by his shoulder and luke rockwell turns around and at first it seems like he's going to be kind of mad yeah. because somebody grabbed him by his shoulder and then he sees that it's cormier and he immediately breaks down in tears and they hug each other that's that's the kind of thing that will get me every time. Like that's yeah. emotionally moving to me to see like how much these guys clearly love each other, for lack of a better word, like how much of a bond they have after being at AKA together for so long and being through so many trials and tribulations of, of doing this hard shit together for years. So like ah, I thought Cormier, as you said, like obviously did his best to both sides it. Uh, but I can't be that mad because that that video of after the thing, it did kind of it did kind of tweak my heartstrings yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I agree. All right, that's gonna do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Marab Dvalishvili. Marab yeah, Dvalishvili. Who do you think won this fight? Do you think Marab Dvalishvili won it? Or do you think Jose Aldo won it? Because leading up to this, Dvalishvili, now I'm going to say it as many times as I can, now that I feel like I can I feel like, like it's
1: slightly it. different every time you say it.
0: Uh, well, that doesn't differentiate Marab Dvalishvili from anyone else. But... Uh, Leading up to this fight, I saw a lot of, or a handful anyway, of betting analysts that I like picking Jose Aldo, thinking that Jose Aldo had a chance to win a decision here, thinking that he had a chance to get a late stoppage here. Uh, Marab Davalashvili was a pretty significant favorite headed into this fight. But once it was all said and done, I guess I can't argue with the decision too much. But also, I don't know that... Marab was able to do any of the things that he wanted to do to Jose Aldo in this fight. So, if you told me you thought Jose Aldo won based on a a very literal definition of how we're supposed to score these MMA fights, I wouldn't argue with you that much.
1: Yeah. Okay. First of all, when you're talking about uh, people making their betting picks, I plan to become insufferable this week when we do twenty dollars and everyone see again. Or the next time we do twenty dollars we never want to see again since there's no UFC this weekend because my pick of Marab via decision turned out to be smart as hail and I, I
0: mean, plan I to also mention it want often to bet on Marab devolish did you have him by decision no I no
1: had just to just to win uh I get the argument that where you're looking. because if you told me beforehand hey like, right after I picked Marab if you're like, what if I told you he would not complete a single takedown? I'd be like, oh, oh shit. 16.
0: Oh, for 16.
1: <laughs> I would be like, that concerns me enormously. Because that is kind of his whole shit. But really, I guess looking at it and saying he wasn't able to do a lot of the stuff he wanted to do. But he was the one doing stuff and Jose Aldo did almost nothing. His At least him trying to do stuff, it stopped Jose Aldo from doing anything. He was just entirely defensive, and his output wasn't enough when he was doing stuff to sort of take over the fight. And that was a concern that the broadcast team raised right away in the first round, because he's just sort of conceding the initiative to Marab. And you can say, like, okay, Marab was not, like, he tried and failed to do a whole lot of stuff, but he kept Jose Aldo from doing almost anything. So how do you like? How do you justify a score for Jose Aldo there?
0: Yeah, it's a very weird fight to score, uh, and I don't have a problem with uh, Marab getting the decision. I, but it's just one of those weird fights where I came away from this fight thinking that the single most impressive attribute in this fight was probably Jose Aldo's takedown defense, just because like the dude just like couldn't take him down, like no matter what he tried, and the one time he did take him down. Aldo essentially just, like, stood right back up. So, I, uh, you know, I don't think Aldo won the thing, but, but I'm out here just, like, I come away from this fight, honestly, just thinking uh, Jose Aldo at 35 years old and as much wear and tear on the body and the lifestyle as you could possibly imagine with 40 professional fights still looks damn good out there.
1: Yeah. Here's what I don't know what to make of is uh, Marab went on the, the Fortnite with Ariel Helwani today, and he said that where well, he's he made some kind of reference to this being Jose Aldo's last fight that he's retiring and then Ariel said wait did did you see him post that somewhere what he? and he's like no he told me in the fight like and I'm going okay uh, Neither one of them, it seemed like they were communicating in English. They both speak different languages. English is a second language for both of them. And you're in the immediate kind of post-fight. And he said, like, oh, he said something to me along the lines of this was my last run for the title. You know, losing this one sort of ends that. And therefore, like, this is it for me. And you're like, I don't know what to do with this information at all. This feels like a lot of ways. Maybe this could have been misinterpreted or you're just saying something in the moment. And also, if it was him saying that he's going to retire, is that your announcement to make? If you're Mirab Dalashvili, there. Like, are you maybe just, maybe keep that one to yourself. It was a, a private moment between you and Jose Aldo that just happened to come in front of thousands of people while Joe Rogan's trying to sneak a microphone in there.
0: Yeah. Uh, oh, and if there's one guy that I come away from this, one aging former champion that I come away from this feeling like he actually probably doesn't need to retire, it's Jose Aldo. Yeah, like I said, the guy still looks pretty good out there. Like he just needs to be a little bit more active and do a, a little bit more stuff. Uh, you know what else Marab Devalishvili said? Doesn't want to fight for the title because his boy, Aljamain Sterling, is the champion and has been instrumental uh, in Marab's rise. And those guys come from the same camp. And you can imagine they have a bond and he, he credits Sterling with being very important in shaping and uh, enabling his own professional MMA career, but it's also just sort of like, man, you have won eight or nine fights in a row. Yeah. Like, uh, please don't let me fight for the title is not the exact right promo that you want to cut after you get this win over Jose Aldo.
1: Yeah. And yet the nature of this win makes it so that I don't know if demands to see (laughs) Marab fight for the title next are going to be everybody's big problem.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess it speaks to, uh, Speaks to his ability to win a fight when he goes 0 for 16 on takedowns. Yeah. Find find a way to win. You done it, Maram. Find a way to win. <laughs> All right, let's do Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Uh, ben, this week I'm just saying Joe Rogan has to be just fucking with us with the tie <laughs> now, right? <laughs> we talked about him wearing the tie on ABC and we were like, okay, like maybe ABC forced him to wear, to wear the tie. And then he wore it for the next pay-per-view. When I theorized, maybe he couldn't get it off uh, because you know, uh, neck and head size, but like he would have been able to find a pair of scissors between then and now, but he's still, he's still tying it. He's still wearing the tie. And I'm just like, is he wearing it? Because people keep criticizing how he looks in the tie. Is it like a, is it like a stubborn, statement that he's making where he's like oh you don't like how i look in the tie i'm wearing the tie every goddamn day now
1: yeah you make fun of my sweater i'm never taking it off fuck you guys
0: because man i just if you you know i'm a sucker for long shot bets but if you had told me joe rogan was gonna wear the tie three straight ufc events i would be like "Nah, man you could (laughs) take the twenty dollars i never want to see again and lay it fully down on joe rogan to not wear the tie and it's the same tie every single time. Yeah, it's, like, it's clearly the one tie he has, man. I
1: want to see him go like zany Father's Day gift tie,
0: you know? <laughs> really wide paisley tie. Yeah, like tie.
1: like some like yellow tie with a bunch of little red kettlebells on it or something. Like somebody was like, Oh,
0: we knew you liked kettlebells.
1: Here, we got you a tie with kettlebells all over it. And he had to be like, thanks. And then being like, what, you don't like it? Aren't you going to wear it? And be like, no, I'm telling you, I'm going to wear it to work tomorrow. Of course. Uh, I want to see him go like that. Let, let's let's yeah. really, if we're gonna do the tie thing, let's let's get fucking goofy with it. Not just the I same agree. black tie, and and you're looking like you're uh, a defeated lobbyist on election night when we're two fights in.
0: You know, <laughs> like it
1: loosened all the way up.
0: I'm just saying. I guess I'm just saying. I'm
1: just saying. But well, Chad, I'm just saying. Um, so we had this heavyweight title boxing match this week, the rematch between Alexander Yusick and Anthony Joshua. It got weird at the end, man. I don't know if you saw any of this, but Anthony Joshua first getting mad that he lost the decision in this fight um, and then gets in there and at one point takes the belts that he does not own anymore and holds them up and then dumps them over the, the ropes on, on the side of the, the ring then seizes the microphone and pre- proceeds to give a really weird speech. Uh, at one point, talking about how he doesn't know what's happening in Yusek's homeland of Ukraine, but it sounds like it's not nice. At another point, trying to get the crowd to give a hip-hip hooray for Alexander Yusek. I guess I'm just saying... You know how sometimes people get made fun of like Forrest Griffin did when he lost Anderson Silva and then ran out the cage. Or Colby Covick did when he lost and just took off running. uh, Didn't even stick around for any of the the normal post-fight stuff. I guess I'm just saying I'm thankful that sometimes shit like this happens to remind us that, that it could be worse. That that's not the worst thing that could happen. To get mad about what happened or your own performance or whatever and just take off running and get out of there as fast as you can. Because the, if the alternative is stick around and just make everybody super uncomfortable with your really weird, meandering tirade, I'm just saying, eh, taking off to the locker room and working through your feelings in private there is not the worst option. Just saying. Yeah,
0: just saying. You know, sometimes we uh, we fault the UFC for the, you know, overly controlling uh, feel to the broadcast but sometimes like maybe you do need joe rogan to just be out there to be like i'm not giving you the mic man <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're not we're, we're i mean the mic even was emblazoned with Yusick versus joshua on the stuff so it's like eh, we think of those little touches in boxing but we don't think like nobody was looking around and being like wait do we have control of the mic we should yeah. make sure we're not ceding the mic to just whoever grabs it and wants to talk for an extended period of time
0: yeah, just saying. All right, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Of course, we will be over at the Patreon page all week. Wednesday, live chat. Thursday, doing the damn thing. Friday, power hour. Check us out over there. You can get in the door for as little as $1. It's worth it. I guarantee it. Plus, still looking for people to play in that fantasy football league. So check us out. As for right now, thank thanks for listening, though. We're done. We are through. We are out.
1: Oh, man, I can't even wait to see some of the hilarious team names people are going to
0: there's gonna be some clever humans over at our fancy football game. That might be one
1: thing you need to have. I think I need to get in there and register quickly so nobody takes tater pigs from me. we got a couple of
0: different surprises the shepherd of the band. You know, not
1: this is exactly the sort of brand pivot I've been looking for, perhaps.
0: <laughs> hey, if you want to embrace camping, I'm all about it. We need some shirts made, hats, temporary. anything